we're going to be looking at, at this passage, Mark chapter 5. And when I was preparing this, this week, I've actually been thinking about this passage for quite a long time, um, I realised that I could either do one really long sermon or split it into two. So I've gone for the split it into two. So, um, no, <laughs> I'm not doing them both tonight. Because I realised uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this and actually there was two things I really wanted to say and may as well say them separately. So, you're going to get part one tonight, but you're actually not going to get part two until like the first week in August. So, uh, you just, you know, they, and they really, it doesn't matter. So, you know, you could be memorising this passage between now and part two and I would be super impressed with your skills. But actually, of all the passages of scripture to memorise this, may not be the best one. Uh, not that it's bad, it's just, you know, just, yeah. Anyway, so you're probably somewhat familiar with this story. So you now, uh, you know, sort of series this whole year, we're looking at Jesus. So this is the passage of scripture where Jesus confronts the man, um, the demoniac who is possessed with legion. So does, isn't that exciting? Now, there are so many ways that we could have a look at this passage of Scripture. Um, and in fact, the, the ancient rabbis used to say, and probably the modern rabbis still say, that uh, they had a saying called the 70 faces of Torah. And they said, there are 70 faces of Torah. Turn it round and around, for everything is in it. And what it was was this sense that you, could look, you can look at Scripture from you know this angle and then you can turn it and look at it from that angle and then you can turn it and look at it from that angle and you can keep going seeing new and profound things in in scripture from all different angles so we could look at this passage of scripture from all kinds of angles but um we're only going to really look at it through one tonight and that's actually through a political angle so many times ooh, you know, many times when we probably encounter this thing, maybe you've heard it preached from a, a spiritual warfare angle, maybe you've heard it preached from a love angle, maybe you've heard it preached from all kinds of different angles. But tonight we're going to look at it through the lens of the political because this is actually quite a political passage of Scripture, um, which is sort of a strange thing to say because we don't often think of the Gospels as being highly political. Well, maybe I should say I don't often think of the Gospels as being political. But in particular, the language that the author of Mark used in this passage makes it very political. But we miss it because we just do, because it's cultural context. So how about we have a read of it and then we'll just dig in. I'm actually reading it tonight out and I've got it up on screen for you, but I've got... A different translation to perhaps what you're used to, which is just the translation of a guy called David Bentley Hart, who is a linguist. So his um, specialty is like translation, and this has been put out quite recently, his translation of the New Testament. And at times it's a little disjointed, um, which is good for us because I think we get too familiar with scripture. We have read it and we have heard it and we have read it and we've seen it on the flannel graph and we've seen it animated and we've read it and we become immune to what it says because we think we know what it says, therefore we read what we think we know what's not actually there. 
So the challenge sometimes is to read it in a different translation, which makes it kind of punch you a bit um, out of your general kind of thing. So he's, he's, this Bentley Hart's kind of kept the translation as close to the original Greek as possible, leaving in some of the awkwardness, which I happen to like. So Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Okay, brief, brief note before we even start. The, the passage immediately before this is Jesus calming the storm. So if you were at morning church a couple of weeks ago, we actually really focused on that passage, Jesus calming the storm. So Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. They're on the sea. Jesus is asleep. Storm comes up. Um, disciples freak out. Wake Jesus up. Jesus calms the storm. And the very last um, verse in that passage says, and they were afraid, enormously afraid, and said to one another, who then is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who even is this man? Who is this man? So that's what's immediately preceding this passage. And they came to the far shore of the sea, into the region of the Gerasenes. And as, and as he disembarked from the boat, there came out to meet him from the tombs a man with an impure spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able any longer to bind him with a chain since he had often been bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been torn asunder by him and the fetters shattered and no one had the strength to subdue him and always every night and day he was among the tombs and in the mountains, crying out and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from afar, he ran and prostrated himself to him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What do I and you have to do with one another? Jesus, son of the highest God, I adjure you by God not to torment me. For he said to him, Come out from the man, impure spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he says to him, My name is Legion, because we are many. And he vehemently implored him that he not send them out of the land. Now there, near the mountain, a large herd of swine was feeding, and they entreated him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we might enter into them. And he gave them leave. And coming forth, the impure spirits entered the swine, and the herd charged down the precipice into the sea, about 2,000, and were suffocated in the sea. And those grazing them fled and reported it in the city and in the fields. And they came to see what it is that had happened. And they come to Jesus and see the demoniac, the one who had had legion in him, seated, clothed, and in his right mind and they were afraid. And the eyewitnesses recounted to them how this had happened to the demoniac and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to pass on beyond their borders. And as he embarked into the boat, the former demoniac begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but says to him, go to your house, to your own family, and report to them the things the Lord has done for you and that he showed you mercy. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis the things Jesus did for him, and everyone was amazed. 
familiar story. When the first readers or listeners, I should say, of this passage would have read it, it would have been obvious to them some of the political imagery and even the satire and comedy that was in this passage, which is a bit lost on us. And so I kind of just want to pull a bit of it out tonight and just see what it has to say to us about our world and our legion or legions. So the first thing to notice about this passage is that they start by crossing over to the other side. So there's this movement from one side of the sea to the other side of the sea. It's very obvious in this passage that they're going from a Jewish side of the sea to a non-Jewish side of the sea. Now that's geography. If you knew the area at the time, and the readers would have, they would have understood that the area of the Gerasenes and the place where the Decapolis was, Decapolis means ten cities, that that was um, not a non-Jewish area of kind of Palestine and that that was actually the easternmost edge of the Roman Empire. And so they're going from one side and they're crossing over to the other side. And we pick this up through all the language because the main language used throughout this passage in reference to the spirit and to the man and to what happens is other words impure and unclean. Now, Jews in their um, purity laws had uncleanness. They weren't allowed to touch or encounter lots of things. Lest they become unclean, then they had to ritually purify themselves in order to become clean, in order to do sometimes everyday tasks or definitely to worship God. And so they are crossing over from clean side to very unclean, from Jewish territory to Roman-occupied territory. Jesus is crossing over and entering into the land of the empire. And he encounters um, this man. Now, this part, this geography, I suppose, when the Roman Empire would go through and conquer lands, as it did, it would use its military forces. One of the ways it paid its military forces, other than ongoing livelihood was to promise them land in occupied territory when they retired. So veterans of the Roman military occupying force would be given land of conquered areas when they retired. So this area was a common retirement ground for ex-Roman military forces. Now, if that was your land, you would be somewhat unhappy with that that the occupying army was allowed to just come in as prize for their occupation to take your land, possibly your house. So this is occupied territory already. The people living here are not free people. Now, I don't know about you, I've watched enough movies to imagine what ex-soldiers of war are like when all they have known is violence and domination and they retire. I don't think they retire to raise sheep press wine. Perhaps they do. I would say these are pretty stressed out, PTSD, violent, aggressive men who have survived pretty horrific combat, seen a lot of war, probably raped and pillaged, and now they're settled in this land. So this is what we're talking about. Jesus has crossed over into this kind of territory. 
The pigs are unclean to Jews. The tombs are unclean to Jews. The dead were unclean to Jews. Everything about this other side shouts uncleanness. And Jesus is entering this unclean territory. Now, here's some of the other language that we pick up in this um, thing that makes it political. First of all, when Jesus confronts this man, I'm just going to pick out some words and we'll go back through. When Jesus confronts this man and, and says to this man, what is your name? The name that he gives Jesus is legion. Now, that is a Roman military term. There is no other translation that you can play with other than to understand that this man called himself by the occupying empire domineering military force. And so that is weighted with political implications. He doesn't say, my name is lust or envy. or He doesn't say any of those perhaps more religious terms that we would be familiar with, with unclean spirits or demons. He uses a Roman military political thing. Now, a legion was a division of Roman soldiers, probably about 5,000 to 6,000 men. So they had legions made up of five men of groups of about 500 fighting forces. So this is, he's calling himself by a Roman army name. And then, so for the people listening, it would have been, they would have been hearing other things in this passage other than sometimes what we pick up. So Mark is hammering home this political thing when he um, talks about and and puts the, the word legion in the mouth of this man. In the area that they entered, the region of the Gerasenes, the Decapolis, there were four such legions that were based there that dominated the land, put out the local skirmishes and kept everyone in line um, along that eastern front of the Roman Empire. The Roman 10th legion, the Legio X Pretensis, which was based in the Syro-Palestine area, which which is where we are, The symbol on their emblem was the wild boar. I've got a picture. So on the left, we'll look at your way. On the left here is an ancient imprint of a coin or a medallion, the the XF, the 10th pretensus. That's a boar down the bottom. That's a more modern rendition of it. So he calls himself Legion. One of the legions common in this area that was still active in military force had their in- insignia, the wild boar. That means they, they, that's what they championed. That's almost like what they worshipped. It was the sign and symbol of who they were as that legion. Interesting then that they get sent into the pigs. The writer of Mark is telling us things about empire and who really has the power. So when Jesus confronts legion, legion begs that they might be sent into a band of pigs. Now the word band that is used there by the writer is the same word that's used for military recruits. So the writer calls the band of pigs the same word you'd use for military recruits. And then when it says that Jesus dismisses, it says Jesus basically dismisses the pigs, like, you can go. And they charge down the mountain and into the sea, which is the 
like the military term for charge. And off they go down into the sea. Can you hear the political imagery in this? Which, you know, when we read this, it's like straight over our heads. To the original listeners, this was a passage saying something about Jesus and empire where Jesus has the power and empire doesn't. Because when Jesus crosses over to the other side and confronts legion, legion ends up in the sea. And now... For us reading this and for the, uh, the first listeners reading this, the punchline of this thing is this band of pigs charging into the sea and suffocating in the sea. Now, what other story in scripture ends with an army drowning in the sea? We sung it just a little moment ago. You split the sea. So it's... This has total overtones reminiscent of God's confrontation with empire in Pharaoh and God rescuing his people out of the domination of empire, coming through the waters of the ocean into the new land and the old thing drowning in the sea. So this is paralleling in so many ways that God is king, that God is Lord, that he has power, that his is the way and he will deal with legion as he likes. And so there's all of these sorts of things going on in this story. The same story of Exodus, which is redemption, encounter, deliverance, is the same story in Mark chapter 5, redemption, encounter, deliverance. So when we read this, this is not just about, isn't that nice for that little one man who was a bit upset in the tombs and he got set free? No, this is a political statement about what happens when the power of God confronts the power of empire, and God wins. This is so much more than just a nice story about a man getting set free. Some of the other things that are really interesting in this passage is the naming dialogue that goes on. There's a bit of like to and fro naming. Like when Jesus, it literally is like Jesus steps out of the boat and this man comes and prostrates himself down in front of Jesus and says, I'll have to find it because I haven't memorised it. Um, and he crying out with a loud voice, he says, what do you, what do I and you have to do with one another, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, the reason that that is so interesting is the very last verse of the chapter before said, and I read it before, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? So in the very previous like, story that we have going on, the disciples who are followers of Jesus are still asking themselves, who is this guy? And yet as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, this man comes and prostrates himself and basically says the words that the disciples themselves don't yet still understand. What do I and you have to do with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. This legion knows exactly who Jesus is when Jesus's followers are still like who are you we're not really sure you're blowing our minds we have no idea what's going on so there's this naming that goes on and in the kind of the magical sort of mystical world of Jesus's time it was often believed that if you could 
name a spirit, you would have power over it. It was like, you know, if you're a magician and you're trying to sort out unclean or impure spirits or work in that kind of magical thing, you would often try to use the power of name to find out what name is this spirit so I can cast it out. So interestingly, when this man prostrates himself, he names Jesus. Like perhaps he thinks, I know who you are and maybe if I know who you are, I will have the power over you. But that goes nowhere because Jesus is son of the most high God. And in fact, Jesus then says to him, what's your name? And the man says, my name is Legion for we are many. And Jesus is basically like, yeah. And then he, and they're like, then just cast out. It's then just dealt with. It's like Jesus has the power. There's this kind of naming thing that's going on, which is like this control. This is the battle that's going on. Who's going to name who and which name is going to have the most power? And at the end of the day, the only name that has any power is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And he's not even, there's not even like a war that's going on. It's just literally a conversation. And then Jesus dismisses these unclean spirits and they just charge off into the sea. This is like a clear, there's no like deep, great wrestle, like who's going to win. It's like from the beginning, this is no competition. Jesus has just got this legion's number and this legion ends up suffocated in the sea. I love how this translation writes that confrontation, which is, what do I and you have to do with one another? Basically, it's asking the question, what does empire and kingdom have to do with one another? And the answer is, absolutely nothing. They are so far away from each other. There is no comparison between the kingdom of God and the empires of this world. They are in different categories. They have nothing to do with one another. Nothing. The kingdom of God is good news for the poor. The empire is very bad news for the poor. Empire creates the poor. The kingdom is good news for the poor. Jesus stands up and says, I have come to set the captives free. Jesus frees the captives. The kingdom frees the captives. The empire? The empire makes the captives. The empire subdues, dominates, uses violence and force to just enter and conquer. The kingdom is nothing like that. The kingdom gives people sight so they can see clearly. The empire is all about keeping things hidden and keeping people blind. The kingdom frees the oppressed and the empire is king at oppressing. It is those that are on top have the thumb and the foot on those who are down. The kingdom is the year of the Lord's favour and empire is all about man's domination. What do I and you have to do with one another? Jesus, son of the most high God. And Jesus is like saying with every action, my kingdom and your empire, legion, they have nothing to do with one another. They are totally different. And let me tell you, the name of Jesus, son of the most high God, and the work of the kingdom will conquer empire and you, legion, will be drowned in the sea just like I've done with Pharaoh before. This is a a pictorial and a significant 
vision of what happens when the kingdom of God confronts the kingdoms of this world and Jesus comes out on top. And of course the people freak out and then ask Jesus to leave. But we're not going to go there because that's like part two. We'll get to part two later. Um, this is one of the things I love about this passage is that when we see it as political This makes this passage a whole lot more to do with us and the world than just imagining it was a nice story for this individual man. This takes away sort of like the nice personalization of the gospel and makes it a cultural worldwide phenomenon. So it's pushing us out of our individualization and our personalization of Jesus and what he does for us and pushes into territory where we have to ask ourselves, What does the kingdom of God do for the world? So it's pushing us that way. And that's really good for us because in our day and age, we tend to personalize and individualize things a lot, especially salvation and what God can do for me and things like that. So passages like this, read the way they were written, are intended to really push us out of our comfort zone. So we actually are asking ourselves the question, How does Jesus confront the kingdoms of this world? How does the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven? How does this work? Because these are good questions for us to take us out of just our personal language. And it reminds us also that it's often easy for us to demonize individual people and let the system off the hook. And all of the language in this passage has got nothing to do with demonizing this individual man who is clearly very disturbed and very broken. And in this whole passage, we never know his name. But we do know the name of Legion. And it's almost like we're pushed away from personalizing this about that man's individual sin or brokenness or dysfunction. And we're pushed into questioning and confronting the system that stands behind this man and why he is the way he is. And that's good for us because we in our culture often find it a lot easier to demonize individual people than we do find it easy to confront the systems that make the people like that. But Jesus comes to confront the systems and to on the cross defeat the principalities and powers as well as set us free. So it's not either or, it's both and. One of the ways I kind of understand this the best, probably, is um, when I think about Port Kembla and when I think about the reputation that Port Kembla has and the conversations I have with people when they hear that our church is in Port Kembla. And let me tell you, the first question that's out of their mouths, and if it's not out of their mouths the first time, it's not far down the list, is almost like, What does your church do for the sex workers? That's like the thing that people are thinking because that's the reputation of Port Kembla, right? The girls on the street. It's almost like if your church is there, automatically you must be there to, I don't know, help, deal with, minister to the girls on the street. But really, that's just a total individualization of the problem of what confronts us on the street corners of Port Kembla. Because really, the legion that is behind that, that's probably more what we're called to confront. 
Why are those women on the street? Because there are systems of lust and sexualization that exist in this world that create a market for why those girls stand on the street. And so Jesus would come not just to minister to those girls, and he would, but he would come to confront the powers that stand behind the reason why those girls are on the corner. No one ever says to me, oh, are you going to have a ministry to the men who pick up the girls? No one asks me that. They're only personalizing and individualizing the sin of these women that they consider to be the evil of this place. But those girls are only doing that because there are systems of power that stand behind them that empower and pay them to do that. But Jesus, when he confronts legion, would confront the powers and the principalities as well as set the captives free. That is what we've got to see when we read scriptures like this, that Jesus just doesn't come for us and come to make us feel good and save us from our sins, but he comes to confront legion and then to drown it in the sea. And he sends empire on its way and ushers in the kingdom of God. And so every time in our thinking and in our world where we tend to kind of personalize and individualize sin and see people as the problem, we have to ask ourselves, if we're praying the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about more than the ones and the twos. It's about confronting the systematic evils in our world and saying to them, what do you and Jesus have to do with one another? Nothing. Jesus is the son of the most high God and he has trumped you on the cross and you are dying in your power and will one day be dealt with and we are the ones that usher in freedom and, and wholeness and sight because that is what Jesus sent us to do. Can I just read you this quote from Brian Zahn which talks about this? We show grace to the institutions of systemic sin while condemning the individual sinner. It should be the other way around. It was never the rank and file sinners who gnashed their teeth at Jesus, but those for whom the present arrangement of systemic sin was advantageous. Jesus condemned the systemic sin that preserved the status quo for the Herodians and the Sadducees and they were the symbolic of political and cultural power and then religious powers. But he showed compassion to publicans and prostitutes. This is grace. But the church, courting the favour of the powerful, has forgotten this kind of grace. We coddle the mighty whose ire we fear and condemn the sin of the weak who pose no threat. We enthusiastically endorse the systems of greed that run Wall Street while condemning personal greed in the life of the individual working for the minimum wage. We will gladly preach a sermon against the sin of personal greed, but we dare not offer a prophetic critique of the golden calf of unfettered capitalism. Jesus did the opposite. He shamed the principalities and powers, but offered pardon to the people. This is the grace the church is to embody. They're challenging words, aren't they? But this is what we're called to do. To not be blind to systemic sin, to not be blind to legion, to not just see this as individual problems, but to actually have open eyes to the, to the systems that hold power in our culture and to actually choose in ways 
varying ways for each of us how we actually come out from under that power and instead choose the way of Jesus. Um, this means opening our eyes and not being blind. And, and giving sight to the blind was the speciality of Jesus. So we're in good company when we're asking for our eyes to be opened. But often it does mean sort of saying to God, God, would you open my eyes to the ways in which just the, that I live in ways that just endorse systemic sin, in ways that just endorse systems of power that keep me on top and oppress the underdog, that are good for me but bad for the poor because that's what empire does. Empire is always good for those on top, not so good for those on the bottom. But to have open eyes is to say, show me the ways that I'm complicit or participating in these and then to come out from that and to live differently and to usher in the way of God. Now, in all honesty, I, um, let me say this. I'm preaching this sermon, and I've been thinking about this passage for a little while, but if I was listening to this sermon, like if someone else was preaching it to me, I would most likely be feeling somewhere between uncomfortable on one end and probably on the other, probably in another way, sort of like overwhelmed would be a good word. Because by nature, I'm not an activist. <laughs> by nature, I, I'm not... When I, if I was to hear this sermon, I'd be like, oh, I know it's true, but it's just all too hard. It's just all, like, it's just, Legion is too big. Legion is too big for me. I'm just Caro. Jesus can confront Legion, but who am I? And if I start to think about the ways my life endorses systemic sin, I'm just going to fall in a hole of depression. <laughs> so I, I'm saying that to be honest about the fact that I'm not standing here saying that I know how to know how to do this, that I do this, that I often think about this, or that I'm like a gun at confronting Legion. Most often, my tendency is to feel overwhelmed and want to go to sleep. Um, this is all too much. I'll just lie down. That's, that's sort of where I'm at. Now, there are other people in this world who get totally fired up by this stuff, and I'm the one that likes to look at them and follow about probably about a kilometre behind, you know, because their energy is a bit too much for me. So I'm just being honest with you about kind of how I am with this. I'm not like preaching like the guru. I'm preaching like the sleeper that just likes to sleep. Um, and I think we kind of need to be honest with ourselves when we're talking about this kind of thing, like where we're at and how it makes us feel, because there are those of us who are going to find this kind of thing exciting and who love to participate in um, discussions around injustice and who love to work out ways to confront the system and who just love to kind of like rant on Facebook and who love to protest in marches and who love all of that kind of this. And, and if you're like that, we really need you to be like that and lead the way because the others of us that are kind of sleepers, you need to rouse us in our slumber and get us moving about the things that Jesus would be concerned about. So we kind of need each other. In the, in the kingdom of God because not all of us are like crazy activists. Like my version of activism is like trying to not use glad wrap and um, <laughs> uh, buying, um, you know, sandwich wraps for my children so they don't have to use plastic and refusing to buy 
um, individual packets of chips. Like I, I have a very passive um, version of activism. And funnily enough, I was listening to a podcast re recently about a girl who's into um, craftivism, where she makes craft and sends it to people in protest. And I loved it. I was like, this is me. This is like the introvert version of proactive, you know, injustice work is like just make something at home in your own home really slowly and pray over it and send it in the mail. Like it's like, so <laughs> that's my version of protest. But um, I think we just need to be honest with each other about how, how this conversation makes us feel. Because I just think to not be blind and to open our eyes is part of the passage of growth. I'm always impressed by people who can be um, angry about the things that we should be angry about because I just want to fall asleep, basically, when I, when I hit that. And I do actually think that when it comes to seeing this side of Jesus, seeing the way the kingdom of God confronts the kingdoms of this world, that one of the best ways forward for all of us is to simply name what it is that Jesus would be addressing. I think that was one of the very important things when Jesus encountered this man and he said, what is your name? I think sometimes it really helps for us to know what it is, what are the legions that exist in our culture that we actually should name. So instead of us just not even knowing that these things exist, we name them. Once we've named them, some of their power is gone. Once we've named them, we can speak the name of Jesus over them. Once we've named them, we can tell them that the blood of Jesus has conquered them. Once we've named them, we know exactly what it is that we want to come out from under. And we kind of then know how to move in the opposite spirit, which is always the best way to do spiritual warfare. To do spiritual warfare against these principalities and powers and this legion and this empire is not to rant and rave and shake down the walls in some kind of spiritual prayer meeting. The best way to do it is to just A, refuse to be complicit and B, move in the other direction. That's the best way. Come out from under the power and just be different. So I actually think what I want us to do in finishing, because if I always think I want you to be able to walk out that door and think, oh my goodness, what did we think about today? Oh, that's right. It's got practical implications for my everyday life in my world. So I actually want us, if we can, to name some of the things in our culture that would be legion. That if Jesus was here, he would name it and he would say, that is actually empire, that's not kingdom. And once we've named them, this is what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to name maybe, I don't know, five. You can come up with five, that'd be good. And then, we've got five. I would like us to break into groups around which of those five we actually feel passionate about or perhaps feel the most passionate about, which might be on some of our scales rather small, but at least we're leaning that way. And then I would like us in small groups to just pray that God's kingdom would come, that Jesus would confront these systemic sins in our culture and in us and that he would be king and he would break their powers. And then what I would like each little group to do is to just chat together about two ways that as the people of God, we can choose to come out from the power of legion and to act differently. So I'm hoping that in about 10 minutes, you're going to walk out the door with 10 ideas, 10, 10 ideas of things you can do to refuse to participate with empire and to actually 
choose to live as a citizen of the kingdom, not as a citizen of the empire. Because when Jesus confronts empire, Jesus throws empire in the sea. So we don't want to be with empire. We want to be with Jesus. And we are. We're part of his kingdom. Is that cool? So I'm going to make you get practical. So name them. Dan's got a... I did do a thing, Dan. Dan's going to type with his miraculous spelling. He's really good at spelling. What can we name as legion in our world and in our culture? Yeah. So discrimination, which would be based in some form of elitism, wouldn't it? Like classism and segregation and what was that? Which is all fear-based, <laughs> which at its root has fear. But, yeah, that's... Thanks, Dan. What else? Unfettered capitalism. Yeah, capitalism would be one of the legions of our... Our culture is built on capitalism. Our culture is built on economics that keep... Uh, the rich rich and keep the poor in their place, in essence. So individual wealth creation and preservation. That we're yeah, it's consumerism that we want to create our own little safe system and we want to keep it that way. And that by nature does the opposite by this sometimes. Individualism, yeah. Individualism. What else? Oh, Brian, I'll just make it to you. Materialism, just our life doesn't consist of it, the abundance of things. Materialism. And consumption's in there too, probably, on some level. The rampant consumption of our culture that, um, yeah, well, destroys the planet. But it also is funny, I was on the Bunnings barbecue today because um, our school PNC was um, doing the Bunnings barbecue. And I was chatting, one of the mothers who I hadn't met before came onto the store and we got chatting to her and her daughter's in Archie's class and she had the headscarf on, we just got to chatting and I was asking her where she was from. She's like, I'm from Bang Bangladesh. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like I, no, I, don't, like, I don't know a lot about Bangladesh, but I know vague, like, enough where it is. And you know what she said to me? She goes, oh, you know, uh, Kmart and Big W and Target, the clothes, they're all made there. And I was just like, I feel shame, basically, that that's how you're describing your country. And it, it was, she, was, like, she was just matter-of-fact about it, but it was like, a, that's right, my country, I can go to the shop down the road that's open 24 hours and buy a $3 T-shirt that will last my child as long as I want it to, not very long. And it's basically made in your country by people who probably don't even make anywhere near a minimum wage and keeps them oppressed. So my 24-hour Kmart buying keeps your country in poverty. Thank you, Bunnings Barbecue, for that revelation. So it's things like that. Yep. Sexualisation, particularly, I think, since my kids were little, looking at my grandkids, it just, amongst children, there's this whole, it's got to be pink or it's got to be blue, gender issue. Yeah. 
Yes. Fair call. Yes. Gen um, what are we, what are we, yeah. Sexualization. I mean, sexualization is a big one. Gender issues. Yeah. Anyone want to throw out another one? Technology. What would you say about that, Laurel? People don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah. We think we know. We think we know a lot because of technology. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, to see that it's about, it's about the dispersonalization of our culture, it's about the fragmentation of community, it's about thinking we have connections but we don't really. There's a whole lot of things that come out of the, you know, the flow on from technology. Well, Lucky, you were going to say one. Slavery. It's good. I mean, these are the things that if Jesus was going to cross over, he would confront this. He would be calling this out by name. And then what he would be doing is not this great, like, battle to and fro. It's like these things bow to the name of Jesus. Empire bows to Jesus because Jesus on the cross confronted the principalities and powers and shamed them. And they have lost their sting and their power. They still war and rage, but God's kingdom will come. His will will be done. And these things will be brought to nothing when Jesus comes. So we as Jesus' people need to act now as if they have been brought to nothing. And the first step towards doing that is just naming them. And then choosing to say, I will not bow to you. I, I will bow to Jesus and you will bow to Jesus too. And then to actually learn different ways that we can come out from under these systems, act in, in opposite ways and just be God's people in, in whatever expression of personality that is for you and I. Some of us are going to be passionate activists about this stuff. Some of us are going to be quiet, passive-aggressive <laughs> people but we, but we just need to live as God has made us and to live authentic lives as followers of Jesus is that cool so we might take those one two three four five six and break up into a couple of different six groups does anyone want to put their hand up to like own one of them just so people so we can like scatter around the place Alira what do you want to own you're up the back or are you feeding am I am I gonna like expose you consumption <laughs> Okay, Alira will take, are you right if people come and join you? Okay, yep. Alira up the back in the cupboard will take uh, materialism and consumption. Um, Jess and Brian, what do you want to take? This is just to coordinate a little prayer and discussion. Individualism, great. <laughs> RN, what do you want to take? You're going to take unfettered capitalism. Nick, what do you want to take? Discrimination. Um, Laurel, you can take technology because you suggested it and you're there. And you can sing that technology song from um, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, I love technology. Anyway, no, sorry. And Simon, what are you left with? Sexualization? Is it? All right. I mean, this is just a device. So how about we just move really quickly? What's the time? Let's do this in five minutes. This is what I want you to do. Just gather together. Um, if you really just pick the most one. Some of you will be like, I know where I want to go. If you're not really sure, just pick the one that's most comfortable for you. 
I would love you, just in starting, don't get talking because we could talk all night about these things. I actually just want you to pray. And I don't, you know, you can pray however you feel led, but my suggestion to you is that you just pray how Jesus taught us to pray, which is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, and that we pray God's kingdom come. So we're just praying simple prayers. We don't need to rant and rave, but we can just say, power of Jesus, we just say that you would come in, in our lives, in our, in our church and in our world and confront these powers and we trust you to, to deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's all yours, Jesus. And just pray just a, a quick, simple prayer like that. And then brainstorm really quickly, perhaps just two or three practical things people can do that you can think of that can help us come out from under this stuff and act differently. And then we all might just leave with one thing we're going to choose to do. Is that cool? All right, go. Um, we <laughs> just keep talking, sorry. I'm just aware of the time. I just went on for too long. I should have let you guys talk more. Who's got, all right, I just want us to go around, pick a spokesman for your group and kind of just share a couple of the things that you came up with um, and we'll, we'll see what we come up with. Who, who had discrimination, where was discrimination? Was this you guys? Who's, who's, who's nominated spokesperson? Um, okay, so we had discrimination. So a few things we've thought of were, well, just generally reaching out and interacting with people who are different from yourself, um, being in a place to ask questions. So instead of just trying to give understanding about who you are and what you're about, like really asking questions of their life and who they are, um, not judging people by how they look. So even if you feel afraid or you feel intimidated or whatever, like interacting with them generally. Um, I know for, yeah, so then another thing is like championing people who maybe have gifts that you wish you had. Um, and then talking about not being silent if there's discrimination. So sharing stories of nations that maybe don't, or people or whatever that don't fall into the one story that's always being told about them. Um, using, if we have privilege, that's generally given to us because of no other reason than gender, race, birth, like using that to um, give other people a platform. Um, yeah. Very good. Unfettered capitalism, that was you boys down here, wasn't it? The capitalists. We basically had no answers. Um, no, well, probably, one of the main things we said was that, well, the opposite spirit of capitalism is generosity. Um, so any ways that we can be acting in generosity, be it with, well, mainly with our money, but also with our time, um, and be acting in that spirit is going to um, yeah, be counter to that. Um, so, yeah, any ways that we've been giving of ourselves, of our money, um, but particularly if there's strategic places in each of our lives where we can... Um, do that for ourselves, but also for the system that we're directly in. So, yeah. For me, one of the ways that I've tried to do that in the past is, is actually just working less. So. Working less. Um, <laughs> uh, in for money, yeah, working less for money. Individualism, that over here. 
spokesperson, spokeswoman. Um, it's funny, we were just talking about how this one sort of runs through all of these other ones, and so both of you are things were what we said. Um, so two really practical things we came up with were in terms of generosity, um, with money and time, funny, yeah, good one. So we were saying um, maybe buy someone a coffee that you don't know and then genuinely ask and listen to their story because it's hard to be disconnected from someone if you actually know them. Great. Um, materialism, that was you, Alira, wasn't it? Who spokesperson? You! Kai! I heard that. <laughs> Who's gonna, oh, Lyra, you're gonna. <laughs> um, yeah, so we talked about just the, uh, the amount of stuff we all have and feel we need to have and are being advertised to, and we respond to that to be more conscious of yeah. what's happening with that and, and, and uh, checking ourselves. And, and yeah. Yeah, pay it forward, and, you know, op shops and using secondhand things and stuff. And, uh, yeah, we were talking a bit about a generation before us that were, weren't so into, you know, having the latest of everything and having their nursery in a particular theme or whatever, you know, <laughs> and house theme too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I mean, one of the really practical things, you know, for unfettered capitalism and materialism, that consumption thing, is just stop upgrading. Like, we, our culture programs us to upgrade every time we're told we can get a better thing. So refuse. Keep your phone until it dies and then get a new one. I mean, that's easy if you're not really into technology. Um, but, or like, if you need something new, check out op shops first. Like, try to reuse rather than buy new all the time. It's just a simple passive-aggressive thing you can do. Um, Sexualisation. Who's... It's upgrading. <laughs> uh, yeah, we sort of came up with it's all too hard. Um, it's... Uh, everything seems to be sort of intertwined in animation. Um, we did discuss uh, clothing and marketing of clothing and um, how skimpy clothing is sort of forced on, on younger girls and it's difficult to even buy uh, loose-fitting clothing and stuff like that these days. Um, yeah, so that's one of the things. Um, something else we discussed was, yeah, it's just sort of living a different life that it calls to... Um, to live other, um, which fits with all of it. So it was, it was difficult to zero in on sexualization without looking at materialism, abuse, individualism, capitalism, and all the rest. Um, I would add to that, if you see something in advertising that you think is inappropriate, write a letter. Um, now, you probably only really need to walk into Typo and look at what's on the cover of the notebooks you can buy. I use Typo notebooks for my sermons and I found it really hard to find one that I could actually have in front of you up the front. 
Um, <laughs> but, and I didn't write a letter because I'm lazy, but I should. Like if you see something that's overtly that, write a letter. And, and technology? So we talked about technology and how like, technology is a tool, but uh, it can be used in a not good way, and it can, that can feed all of these things that we just said. And uh, thinking of how technology, um, yeah, in, in can give us this illusion that we don't need God anymore. And so, like, how, thinking how can we use technology to glorify God and to use it in a good and healthy way. Yeah. So good, guys. This is like naming Legion and choosing to come out. So I'm going to pray just to finish. Jesus, give us eyes to see where we come under the power of empire. Help us to name the things that have nothing to do with your kingdom and help us to leave that behind and walk in your ways. Jesus, we know that all of this is not in our power and our strength because you confronted Legion as son of the Most High God and you defeated it. And so we come in under you, Jesus, and we say we want to be with you and to be walking under your power as you defeat the powers. And so help us, God. Help us to wake up where we need to wake up and help us to just be the people of kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Wonderful. Go have a great week. Um, In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be having a bit of a look at how on earth this guy got to where he was, self-harming in the tombs. And we'll just have another look at that passage from that angle, totally different angle. Aren't you glad I didn't do that tonight? I talked too much. All right, bless you. (laughs) We'll see you next time.